Okay, anybody got a car like this? I didn't see it in the car park. That slogan is, <clears throat> if it's on anything, it's usually on the back of a sporty 4x4, like that one. Um, I wonder <clears throat> what sort of life that uh, car has had or what sort of life its owner lives. You may expect it to be full of sand and uh, stains from salt for being, visiting the beach and surfing and dented and mud spattered because of its energetic um, and adventurous life that it lives, trying to cram as much as possible into every journey. Or what about this one? Is this, is this more like anybody's car here? This is a 1956 Morris Minor convertible. Very important year, that, 1956. Um, in very good condition. Probably been pampered, kept in the garage for most of its life, taken out for short journeys to show, to show off um, hardly any dents or any that have been have been uh, looked after and, and cared for and stitched up and whatever needs to be done with it. And you wonder what sort of a life that car has had and what sort of a life its owner lives, whether they, the owner look, looks after themselves and tries to say, well, I, you know, I don't want to cram as much as I possibly into it every day. I want to live as many days as I can. And that means I do as little as possible every day. Or there's this approach to life. Well-known quotation from C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And you think, well, what is the best attitude to the way we spend our time and live our days? And there's a prayer in the middle of the psalm which we read, Psalm 90, verse 12, says this, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to think about our days, count them off, use them wisely. How, long, how many will there be? What should I do with each one? So that I may gain a heart of wisdom to know how to make right decisions, to balance life in the right way. What is the wisest way to live our lives? Well, I think this psalm actually answers the prayer of verse 12. And so what I want to try to do this morning is to give, wait for it, seven wise ideas from this psalm on how to live a life uh, and gain a heart of wisdom, how to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. Don't panic. I will be numbering the minutes. There's a clock down there. Um, and I will be speeding up towards the end. Okay, so just don't start panicking when you think we're only on point number three and it's nearly time to go home. Um, I will speed up towards the end. The first one is this. To number our days in awe of God. So many approaches to life, uh, decisions that we make, how we spend our time, are centred very much upon ourselves upon me, or upon a very small us. What's best for me? What best suits my comfort? Or my power? Or my health? Or my finances? Or my popularity? Or put in there whatever category is most important to you. What suits me? How should, I suit my, how should I 
spend my days, number my days. Because it's all about, it's all about me. What I want out of life. But this psalm, especially the early parts of this psalm, help us to reset that thinking and realise that it's actually not all about us. But it is really all about God. Look at verse 2 in particular. You know, he was here first. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It is all about him. It is really all about him. And by comparison, we are fleeting. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, verse 4, or like a watch in the night. Hopefully most of us slept through that and didn't even notice it was gone. A thousand years, well, that, if my, my mathematics is correct, that was before the year 1066, a thousand years ago. A lot has happened since then, but to God it's like yesterday. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He has always been and he will always be. It is. Everything else is actually all about him. Everything. Because he was always there. I think true wisdom actually begins and finishes, starts and finishes with an awestruck sense of the greatness of God. Some people think the killer question to ask a Christian is, okay then, <coughs> excuse me, who made God? You know, and, uh, like as, if, as if nobody had ever thought that question before. Um, and I'm sorry if, if I don't want to insult anybody here if that's your favourite question to ask of Christians, um, thinking that's going to destroy their faith. The, really, the answer is nobody made God. He has always been. It is all about him. He has always been. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is the uncaused first cause. Always been. Whatever else you see or hear or think about is all about him. It's all about him. He is the origin of everything. It is all for his purposes. When Moses, who wrote this psalm, was sent by God to lead the people of Israel, the children of Israel, he said, well, who shall I tell them is sending me? And God said, tell them, I am. I am. That eternal existence. I am. I was that I was. I am that I am. I will be that I will be. That is the essence of his nature. He is absolutely eternal. Now, let me ask you, do you have that sort of wisdom? You know, that God is above, beyond, before, and still to come. And rejoice in what the Bible, the way the Bible reveals God as three in one. We call the doctrine of the Trinity. Rejoice in that. See, other people say, that's another killer question for Christians. You know, how can you believe three in one? It doesn't make sense. Well, no, it doesn't make sense. Do you expect God to make sense? Do you expect with our little mind to be able to understand the one who has always been? Do you expect to? Of course not. But the fact that he is, excuse me, 
<coughs> the fact that he is revealed as being three persons and yet one being helps us to understand how he could exist forever and ever and ever before he ever created anything. Because he obviously is a very personal being. We call him Father. He has made personal beings like us in his image who need each other to relate to. So you say, well, how can an entity have always been as a personal being, a being of relationship, and been happy forever and ever and ever before he created anything? How could he possibly exist with contentment? Well, he can because he is such an extraordinary being that he has relationship within himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Knowing, loving, relating to one another forever and ever and ever. Perfectly capable of existing forever in absolute contentment before he created anything. Glorious, glorious being. I don't want you to think I live in the conscious <laughs> awareness of this all the time. I wish I could, well, I know I couldn't. It's just, I blow, blow your mind. But sometimes I feel if I can just get a glimpse of this for a few seconds a day, it kind of resets my clock and my attitude to life. That actually, it's not about me or about anybody else. It's all about God. Everlasting to Ever, everlasting. Now, preachers don't very often say this kind of thing, but I'm going to say it now. Uh, I'm going to say, if you want to stop listening to me now, you can, as long as you just feed upon that thought. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. But I'm going to move on. Second step is that we see here is not just in awe of God, but in the fear of God. Now, fear is a very, very healthy emotion, isn't it? You know, if you actually lived fearlessly, you would not live very long. We teach our children to fear things for their safety, for their protection. Don't touch this. Don't go there. Look three times before you cross the road, all the rest of it. You know, fear is is vitally important part of life. It, it saves and protects us in all sorts of ways. And it is foolish not to fear. And it is foolish not to fear God. But awe does not necessarily include fear. For example, you might stand in the Alps or some other mountain range and look, upon, look out a tremendous great view of the mountains and feel a sense of awe. Mass, the, the magnitude of them, the beauty of them, and feel tiny in comparison. You feel a sense of awe, feeling of awe. But you don't fear the mountains, do you? Well, unless you happen to be climbing one, I suppose. But you don't, you don't just looking at them, fear them. Or I imagine out here you see a better view of the night sky than we do up in London. Do you? And you look at a, night, a clear night sky with the great host of stars and you feel tiny and you feel a sense of awe at the grandeur of creation and you feel, you feel overwhelmed by it, but you don't fear the stars, do you? You have no relationship with them. There is no moral or emotional connection with them. There is no obligation to them. They have no authority over you, but nevertheless you're in awe of them. 
But in our, in, with God, we should be in awe of him, but also fear of him, because there is a moral obligation to him. There is a relationship with him. There is an accountability to him. He is a living being with whom we have to do. It must be there. Anybody here ever done Airbnb? Or any other kind of, any other kind of self-catering holiday? Maybe, you know, such a tourist spot down here. Maybe some of you even run them, do you? I don't know, do you? Well, Kate and, Kate and I have done uh, a few Airbnbs or, or, like, or similar things, and um, they, they vary a lot. <coughs> you know, sometimes you never meet the host. So you get, get the key from a key press outside, here's the combination number, let yourself in, let yourself out. Here are the rules. You know, no smoking, no pets, no parties, pay for what you break, get out by 10 o'clock in the morning. That sort of thing. So you obey, you obey the rules. But you've never met, you never meet the, the owner. Other times they might say, well, we will meet you at the door, let you in, show you around. And so at least you know who they are a bit. And they might even say, we will come and check you out at the end. And you think, oh, right. <laughs> really got to make sure everything's okay when we go. The nearest we've got to actually in, in, uh, interacting with a host was when one time when we had a downstairs apartment, self-contained apartment, and they lived upstairs. And we sort of shared a garden area. And so we met, saw them probably every day, just about. And there are some, which we have never done like this, where you just have a room in their house and you share the bathroom and you share the kitchen. I don't fancy that personally, but maybe you do. But, um, but if that was the case, then you'd say, well, we better do the washing up before we go out for the day, even though we're on holiday. You know, you've got to make them, make them tidy up and all the rest of it and behave yourself, keep quiet and um, obey the rules, even more so because you're with them in their house all the time. Well... You obey the rules no matter which arrangement it is, but you have far more of a fear if you're living with the person in their own home. God is not an absent landlord. Look at, look at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Not, Lord, you are from everlasting and you created the world and set the rules and maybe, maybe we'll see you one day, we don't know. But no, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. A similar idea to what the Apostle Paul said when he was preaching on, in, in Athens and he said this, quoting from um, Greek poets, he said, he is not far from any one of us, for in him... We live and move and have our being. Now God is both at the same, at the same time both above and beyond and outside of everything he has made. But on the other hand, he is also right here. Right here. Right now. Throughout all of your life in the past and throughout all your tomorrows. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom in awe of you, but in also in fear of you. Because he has set the rules, the house rules, and we break them every day. Every day. 
every probably every minute of every day, virtually. Verse 7, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the, pre- in the light of your presence. This is written by Moses, who was well acquainted with God's wrath, especially in the last stage of his life, when he led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years because they had sinned against the Lord. And they wasted 40 years. Lord, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We've just, we've just wasted 40 years. A whole generation have died out because of sin. We need to live our lives in awe of God and in fear of God so we don't keep incurring his wrath and wasting our time. Anyone feel like that? Lord, I feel as if I'm going round and round in circles. Or maybe, you've, maybe you feel, Lord, I've wasted enough of my life so far. Lord, please help me to number my days from now on that I may gain a heart of wisdom and live in healthy relationship with you and not incurring your wrath day after day after day after day after day. Break into this vicious circle of my life, please, and show me the right way. And because it leads, this whole concept leads so clearly to verse 12. Let's read those two verses together, 11 and 12. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thirdly, by the, and I'm looking at the clock, thirdly, by the mercy of God. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom by the mercy of God. Teach us to number our days in the mercy of God, relating to the love of God, not just that he is to be held in awe, not just because he is to be feared, but because he loves, (laughs) because he has mercy. Verse 13, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And Moses must have prayed this prayer many times as he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. Lord, please have mercy, have compassion on us. And he did over and over and over and over again. He forgave and he forgave and he forgave and he provided and he provided and he provided for them. He protected them. But Moses' prayer has been answered massively beyond just the help that God gave in Moses' own time. Because God has relented. It sounds as if he changed his mind, but he, he, of course, you know, the person who's been there forever and ever and ever doesn't really need to change their mind, does he? He knows what's going to happen next. He wrote the whole story. He had planned to send his son to act in great mercy for those who could not live according to his laws. He would always break the plates. He would always have forfeit the deposit. He would never get out in time. He would always spoil the world that he had made. And he has had great compassion on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In great pity, the Lord Jesus came into this world to live the life we cannot live. To keep the laws we always break. To love God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength, and to love his neighbour as himself. We fail over and over and over again to do. And the wise person receives that mercy and help and makes this prayer their own. Have compassion on your servant. 
in Jesus. And we have such great reason to make this prayer. Because the Lord Jesus came into the world in order to have compassion, in order to forgive, in order to give a new beginning, in order to wash away all the stain of the past, and in order to forgive all that is yet to come. So we have every reason to pray this prayer. Another killer question, it's not even a question actually, a mocking statement of people often bring against Christians is this, oh, Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. I can't wait for the next person, next time someone says that to me because this is, this is my response to that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I'm glad I've got it because I am a weak person and I need all the help I can get. And a wise person acknowledges their weaknesses and receives the help that is offered, don't they? And it is absolute folly to turn it down and say, I don't need any help. To number our days and gain a heart of wisdom is to discover that we need mercy, we need forgiveness, we need help, we need Jesus. And thank God for sending him for us to rescue us and make us his forever. Our need for mercy. Can you hear me, by the way? I'm sorry, I'm struggling up here a little bit. I know my voice. Oh, is it? Oh, that would help. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> do, wave, do wave if my voice drops too much and I'll <coughs> try extra hard. <coughs> Fourthly, number our days in the presence of God. Here is an absolute cracker of a verse in this psalm. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I've written that on a post-it note and I've stuck it opposite where I have my breakfast in the morning. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom satisfied by the love of God in my experience. He's not saying, <coughs> Lord, please... Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. He's not saying, Lord, please start loving me because it's an unfailing love. It's always been there. He's saying, satisfy me with that love. Help me to receive that love today. Help me to enjoy that love today. Help me to rejoice in that love today and be glad all my days. I want to live each day in the conscious presence of God, in the awareness of God's faithful love and be satisfied by him. Isn't this extraordinary that the God who has always been, who is above, beyond anything we can imagine, can actually satisfy an individual person like you and me? Can live with you? That you might rejoice in him and be glad every day. What a way to live! What a way to live! That's wisdom, isn't it? That's fulfilment. That's being a real human being. Satisfied by the love of God day by day by day. Lord, wake me up to see where I am. Lord, wake me up to see who you are. Let me live with you each day and rejoice in you. 
maybe, I don't know, maybe you're not yet a, a believer and all this is a little bit foreign to you. Well, can you make this your prayer? Lord, please wake me up. Wake me up to see what I'm missing. Wake, wake me up. I've wasted so much of my life thus far, filling my life with all sorts of other things which can never actually fully and completely satisfy me. Perhaps even with loves that are not faithful. Lord, satisfy me with your unfailing love. That I may rejoice in you and be glad all my days. Help me to start anew with you, Lord, please. And I don't know, for the younger, well, there are a few younger people here, but for mo most of the younger ones have gone out to Sunday school, but, you know, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Start young. <laughs> Why waste? Why waste until you're in your teenage years? Why waste until you're in your 20s? I won't say how many, I'm not going to go on all the, all the, all the decades because I'll reach my own in the end. But why, why waste the time? I think one of the greatest um, frustrations and disappointments in my life is I did not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Saviour and Lord when I was younger. Wasted years. And if you're a believer already, make the most of it. Okay, we're really going to speed up now. Um... Number your days by telling other people. Look at verse 16. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. Thank God for those who are teaching the children out there in Sunday school, passing the message on, the next generation, and the next generation after that. But it's not only just down through the generations, it's horizontally across the generations as well. That all people might know, your servants, whoever they are, however old they are, however young they are, might know of, the de of God's deeds. And that's wisdom, isn't it? Say, what, am I, what, what is my greatest task today? Well, it certainly includes letting other people know that there's a God who's always been there, who surrounds us moment by moment and to whom we are accountable, and yet who loves with extraordinary love. So the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossi, to the church in Colossae, chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, be wise, well, it's wisdom, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You don't just turn on an evangelistic event in your head, right? But every, every conversation is one that honours God. Sometimes more explicitly than others. Most of the time, not probably not very explicitly, if you think about all the conversations we have every day, but they're always full of grace and seasoned with salt. And sometimes they're quite explicitly so. Being wise to use the days, because we do not know how many days will be left until the landlord shows up visibly, breaks through the curtain and is seen, and the accounts have to be drawn up, and there is no more chance to be saved. We don't know. Number six, make your life count for God. Verse 17, may the favour of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. 
have this attitude, I want to do something that will last for the glory of God. I want to build something that will last for the glory of God. Lord, please, the work of my hands, establish it. Make it something that will contribute to your glory, that will, in, that will show people how wonderful you are. Um, there's a, is there a footnote in this translation? Yes, there's a footnote from verse 17 in the church Bibles, which says, in, you could either translate it the favour or the beauty. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us, or may the beauty of the Lord our God rest on us. It's, both, both are equally good trans, translations of the Hebrew word. And I, and I, you know, a situation like this, I want the best of both worlds. Let's have them both, shall we? Let's have both favour and beauty. You know? Um, both are acceptable. Favour, we need God's help. We need God's help to do something for him that is actually going to last. These few moments of, 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 on this earth that we have achieve something for God. Lord, I need your help with that. I can't do it by myself. But how are we going to do it? Well, Lord, I want, I, I want to be beautiful for you. It's a hard thing for a man to say, isn't it? I want to, I want to be beautiful for you. I want, to, I want to shine with your character. I want, to, I want to look as much like you as I possibly can. And I need your help to do that. In order to represent you here on earth and achieve something that will really last for your glory. That, isn't that wisdom? I don't know if I want to waste my time, fritter it away in, in pointless things, but to actually achieve something for God. And lastly, we're getting there. Lastly, don't make the mistake I have made throughout the whole of this sermon. Do it together. Do it together. From beginning to end, this psalm is not written in the I, me, it's written in the us, we, our, throughout. It is, it, it, I've done the classic thing, I've taken something that is corporate and I've made it individual. It's actually a corp corporate. This is a national prayer of Moses, isn't it, for the nation. And we need to see this not just me, me and God, but us and God. It's a thing together. Let me put, just for example, the first and the last verse up there. And then I'm going to highlight on the screen the pronouns. Look, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Verse 1 then, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Do it, do it together. Do it together. Now, the beauty of the Lord may be displayed in your individual life, and I most certainly hope it is but it is also displayed in your life together as you relate to one another. God is a God of relationship, isn't he? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is our Father. <laughs> and his beauty is shown as individual Christians love one another, care for one another, support one another, perhaps challenge one another, but help each other in good relationship that shines something really unique and special and different into your community. There the beauty of the Lord can be seen. No, here, sorry, not there, here. The beauty of the Lord can be seen. And wherever you go in relationship to show forth 
something wonderful of the character of God. Is that, that, that's the camera at the back there, is it? Right in the middle. Do you mind if I just speak to people down the tube? Down, is it YouTube, down the YouTube, or down the whatever tube it is? Just for a moment, because um, uh, it's so wonderful that this church provides live stream or, and recordings of the services, and for some of you, that is an absolute lifeline, because you can't get here, and it gives you a link, the best link you can get, apart from people visiting you, a really good link to the life of the church here. Maybe some of you don't yet believe, and you're visiting this church digitally to try to learn what the Bible teaches. That's a tremendously good thing to do. If you can, I would say, come and visit, because then you can ask questions. <laughs> then you can see Christianity at work amongst a group of people who really believe together. For some of you, you know you can't, you can't do that because you're in France or somewhere else, <laughs> or physically you just can't travel. Well, make the most of this facility. Some of you might be shopping around looking for a church to go to that really teaches the Bible. Well, can I encourage you not just to window shop, but to step across the threshold? Um, I do know one or two people actually here in this congregation, and some of them are quite nice. <laughs> I hope they're all nice. And they will welcome you. And they will take you as you are and they will let you ask questions, and they will try to help you. You might like singing the hymns in the shower. It's far better singing it in the congregation, unless I'm standing behind you, of course. <laughs> but together, together, take that step. Come and, join, <coughs> come and join these people here if you can, and live out the life of God together as a community in this place. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom.